morning. Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Don't lie to them like you did last week. Mean it this time. All right. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have a great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And uh, what that means is you're going to need a Bible because we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. So whether or not you're at the Lompoc campus or here in the room at the Buellton campus, if you need a Bible, you forgot a Bible, you can just slip up your hand. One of our ushers will get a Bible to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that, read it every single day, because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, hey, turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew today. We've started a uh, mini-series for the Easter uh, season, and so if you're new to the scriptures, you can go two-thirds of the way through. You can find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. We're looking for Matt, Matt 21, uh, starting in verse 1. If you're gathered with us at the Lompoc campus, we're so glad that you're gathered together with us. We are one church in a couple locations, and we're so glad that you're joining with us this morning. Turn in your Bible, Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. You can say amen when you're there. Now it says this, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foil of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat down on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Will you pray with me? Gracious heavenly father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace today that you would help us in all things, that we would be a good steward of your word, that this wouldn't be merely man's ideology or man's philosophy but that we would know that you have left for us these stories. You are the Logos, you are the Word incarnate, and that you've come and you dwell among us and you reveal to us who you are. And so if we've ever asked the question, 
What is our heavenly father like? What is God like? We don't have to look any further than you, Jesus. And so today we'll peer full into your face and we ask for your grace to do so. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. The last week of Jesus' life is of the utmost importance. If you didn't realize, uh, the New Testament is primarily uh, about uh, the person of Jesus and particularly his life, his earthly ministry. The entire Bible is a story about God and his revelation to his people. And we believe that Jesus is the key to understanding all of the scripture. That's why I open every single week saying, hey, if you want to know what the Bible is about, the Bible is a story about Jesus. It's not primarily about you. And that's good news. Let me me say that again, that the Bible, the greatest book on the planet that sold more copies than anything else, this book that that has, has troubled and stirred and been quoted is not primarily about you. And that's good news. Somebody say amen to that. It's a story about Jesus. It's written written to you, for you, but it's not primarily about you, but it has implications for you. And, and, and when we look at the life of Jesus, and we look at particularly in Matthew, Matthew's 28 chapters long, and at chapter 21, Jesus lived 33 and a half years until his death, and, and 20 chapters are devoted to his earthly ministry in Matthew, uh, really not from a young age. Matthew begins to tell his story in in some of the birth, but really it kind of kicks in in chapter three at his baptism and around the time of John the Baptist. By the time we get to chapter 21, this is starting the last week of the life of Jesus. 21 through 28 is all about this last week. Week And then we are in this Easter season. Some people call this season of, of Lent, depending on your traditional background. And, and some people just go, man, it's the holiday season. It's the Easter season. But here's, here's the reality is, is that the whole world and is beginning to, on this particular season, question, why is it that we devote time? Why is it that we devote attention? And, and, and then what really is this holiday all about. It really starts with the last week of the life of Jesus. Much of the New Testament is devoted to this last week. It's dense with implication, starting on what one particular Sunday is called Palm Sunday, the the triumphant entry, the last week of Jesus' life. He comes into Jerusalem, and here we are on what people call Palm Sunday. When I was a kid, they would literally hand palm branches at at the doors. So during the worship service, I don't know where in Kentucky we came up with palm branches, uh, but, but that's what we did. And we, we, we talked about this last week of the life of Jesus. And, and, and sometimes what we do is we kind of skip this part of the story. We, we, we kind of know Christmas and, and we kind of, we kind of know Easter. We know, we know what happened on Friday. And I'm going to, I want to invite you to Good Friday service at Zacca Creek Ranch while you're drinking Zacca coffee. 
it's a great plug. I may or might, I may be looking for a sponsorship. And, and yet, we know what happened on Friday. We know what happened on Sunday. But what's the implications of that entire week? Beginning to look at the life of Jesus. What, what came before that Sunday? That Sunday that changed everything. What happened the week prior? Jesus just raised a man from the dead, his friend Lazarus, and rumors have spread about the power of this man, Jesus. Jesus begins to tell his disciples, we must go to Jerusalem. They're going, man, we don't really want that type of trouble. What type of trouble were they talking about? This man, Jesus, although humble. Here's what you'll find about Jesus, is Jesus is extremely humble, but he's not modest at all. He's humble, and and he comes as a servant, but when it comes to his identity, he's not modest at all. On his way into Jerusalem, when he tells his disciples, and they're they're not really sure. They know if they go into Jerusalem what it might mean because of who Jesus claimed to be. Jesus would say things like, your sins are forgiven when he heals a man. And they would go, why are you saying that? Only God can forgive sins. He says, I said what I said. And then he's on his way, he leaves Jericho, and he makes his way in to Jerusalem. But on the way in, there are two blind men on the side of the road. See, when you read one particular passage, the passage that we read, it's why it's so important that you don't just take what any one speaker, one preacher, one pastor says, but you actually get into the book yourself. You wrestle with the truth. You're going to have to wrestle with some things today. You're going to have to fight with the things that are laid before you today from this preacher, this broken, messed up, trying to walk alongside you. Let me tell you, friend, I am no guru. If you want to be a guru, good luck. Don't let them see behind the curtain, friend. Listen, I'm no guru. I tried the 27 steps to being awesome. They did not work. You can ask my wife, okay? I'm no guru, I want to try to be a guide, meaning I want to strap up my boots next to you, I want to pack my pack next to you, I want to wrestle with the text, and here's the reality, is that if you are fighting with your belief in God, if you're wrestling with truth, if you're wrestling with ideologies of the world and your social gatherings, if your friends say one thing, but you know that the church says another, then wrestle with truth and fight well, because I believe if we fight well, others will win. Mm, Sir, if you fight well with truth, your marriage will win. If you fight well for truth, then your family will win. Your kids will win. Your community will win. If we search, and the Bible says that if we seek, we will find. If we ask, we will receive. If we knock, the door will be open to us. But sometimes we are lazy in our pursuit. And so there are things that I'm going to say. There are going to be things that I go, hey, I'm just trying to guide you through this today that you're going to have to wrestle with. But if you fight well, others will win. Amen?
And so uh, I, I, I want to lay before you that these, these two men, as Jesus is on his way into the city of Jerusalem, they cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David, maybe you've heard that Bible story. If you're a felt board baby or, 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 or kid's church kid, if you kind of grew up in the church, maybe you heard the, the times that people would, would cry out, son of David, but maybe you don't realize the implications of what they're saying. On his way to Jerusalem, the capital, this place where there's a king, King Herod, who's a puppet king under the Romans. On the way into Jerusalem, these men who are blind begin to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on uh, see, this term, son of David, everyone knew it. And I can imagine the chill of the disciples twofold what they were feeling because they were debating on whether even to go into Jerusalem. Do they just slip in? The times we've been there before, we've flown under the radar. But then Jesus tells us, it's time to go to Jerusalem where I'll suffer and die. And Peter steps up and goes, no, 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 you're the Jewish Superman. You can't suffer and die. What do you what do you talking about and Jesus rebukes Peter and says get behind me Satan for your words are offensive to me let me tell you you've had bad days let me tell you you've never had a bad day like Jesus calling you Satan to your face right if you think some days you get it right and other days you get it wrong you are in good company Peter one day gets it right the next day gets it wrong he's confused he doesn't realize what Jesus is trying to do and these blind men can see who Jesus is clearly and they say son of David have mercy on us see son of David was a a term given to the messianic promise the messianic king the savior king the warrior king like david but greater than david david who killed goliath david whose resume to kill goliath was that he's been killing lions and bears since he was a boy and this philistine will be the same as those could you imagine even saying something like that listen when you're when you're a young boy your dad tells you you better fight somebody that you can whip or outrun okay never get in a fight with someone unless you can whip them or outrun them and let me tell you you can't whip or outrun a bear or a lion friend and I'm just going to tell you that right now and David's resume was that he had killed bears and lions and then he goes on as a young boy with a few stones and a slingshot and slays a giant and yet these blind men say the son of David, the warrior king, the greater one who's coming, not only who slays uh, bears and lions and one giants, but the nations will become his footstool. These blind men say, son of David, the coming king. And you know what Jesus says? He, 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 he doesn't say, oh, shucks, don't tell anybody. Right? He, 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 doesn't, he, he doesn't say, hey guys, keep it down. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to fly low under the radar. No, no paparazzi, guys. You know? he, he doesn't say that. He looks at them and says, what do you want me to do for you? 
He claims the title in front of everyone on the way in. He claims the title, the warrior promised king. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, have mercy on us, heal us. And he opens their eyes and he makes his way in to Jerusalem. I imagine the disciples going, we've been waiting for the, the whole time. We've been wanting him to tell everybody. We've been, we've been trying to get him to storm the gates. We've been trying to get him to, to cause a revolution. We've been trying to get him to change our status with Rome. We want him to overthrow Rome, but Jesus had a greater plan. He comes in to Jerusalem this king, he's just, he, he's just claimed the title, son of David, the coming king. And then he says to them, he says, I want you to go in to the city. I want you to go just up ahead into the village, and there's going to be a donkey and a colt, and I want you to get them and bring them. And if anyone has a problem with it, you say, the Lord has need of them. Could you imagine getting that from your boss? Your boss is like, hey, I want you to go take this guy's car over there. I want you to go get his Prius. And you're like, ah, we should probably not get a Prius. And it, it, we should get something like way better than that, right? Sorry, Damien. And, uh, and we're like, we, no, 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 I want you to go and you imagine like uh, they're not gonna let me take the Prius and like no 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 go get it and tell them like hey my boss said I could have your car and all right like let's go do that and and so they go on up ahead and just as Jesus said it was there's the donkey there's the colt and they bring it back and I can imagine what they're thinking here he just claimed to be the warrior king and you, you want to go in on a, on a donkey? Like, uh, hey, G I, I can imagine the guys like, especially James and John, the sons of thunder, they're like, hey, listen, Jesus, we want to talk to you. If you're going to do this whole king thing and we're actually going into Jerusalem, you probably don't want to, like, you're probably better to walk, actually, because then you, you could like, you know, do some judo moves and, and things like that. But if you're going in on a, a donkey, friend, like, like you're going to be slaughtered. Like, if you're going to be a warrior king, we should get a different steed than a donkey. Jesus is like, no, no, I think this one's, I think this is what we're going to do. And all of a sudden, you can imagine just the upside down nature. If you were there with a man, Jesus, we're going we're gonna to go in, we're going to change everything. And you're not going to take a Hummer, right? Like a Prius? Like that's what you're going in, in with? Like you're not going to go in with the land cruiser? You're not, you're not going in on the stallion? You're not going to storm it? You're going to come in on a donkey? He rides in on a donkey fulfilling Zechariah 9, 9. Behold, your king is coming, a humble and mounted on a donkey. He comes in and all of a sudden there's this makeshift parade. Everyone begins to grab coats and they put it on the road and, and literally the donkey is walking on their, their jackets and, and they've made a, a red carpet in for them and, and everyone grabs whatever they can. They grab palm branches and they make this parade. They're like, just grab the king is here. Everything changes today. The king is here and they begin to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, the Lord most 
high. The blessed son of David in John, it says this, the king of Israel. Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David, the king of Israel. Fast forward, that statement at the first of the week will be what on Friday is stamped to the top, the epitaph on the cross will say, King of the Jews. See, this last week of Jesus' life has immense implications for us. It's something we have to wrestle with. It's, it's, it's bigger than what you see at first glance. Jesus then, after healing the blind man on the way in, he goes immediately into the temple, and this is the scene where he turns over the money changers. He begins to take a whip and drive people out of the temple. So they thought he was going to go to the castle, and he went to the temple. He went there and he drove out the money changers. Completely up, causes an upheaval in their religious systems. And then he says this. He goes into the temple and he doesn't say God's house. He says my house. And all of a sudden I can imagine uh, 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 the the trepidation uh, of the disciples. Man, we've been running with this guy for some time. And and I know know he's powerful. I I mean, when when he fed 5,000 people, there was almost a crowning of a king on that particular day. You remember that day, right? When Jesus fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children with a lunchable lunchbox, right? Like he was just pulling food from everywhere. And they're like, man... If, if, if we get into battle, if we get into war, they know the, the tactics of war, right? Like you're thinking food source. You're thinking medical care. You don't get into someone unless you're able to provide for yourself, care for yourself. And here's this man. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him raise the dead. And, and yet he can feed us out of literally nothing. If they cut off our food supply, he can feed us. If they hurt us, he can heal us. And if they kill us, we're playing a video game, baby. It's respawn. Let's take the capital. Let's go. Let's change everything. This was what they were beginning to do. And then Jesus says this crazy thing the next day. He says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Can I just tell you that's one of the worst passages to preach? You're just like the vampire verse. You're just going to like, like, what is it? You invite a guest and that's the passage we're going to talk about, right? Like, what is this place, right? And he says, listen, it's my life or nothing. See, the problem with their mentality, they wanted a revolution, they wanted a revolt, but Jesus was not a revolutionary. They were trying to convince him to change their status, to alleviate them out of poverty. They were going, Jesus, man, change what's in our hands, what we have, man. The Romans keep taking our stuff, Uh, they oppress us, we're enslaved to them. Can you change our status and can you give us some more money? Can you change the poverty of our hand? But see, friends, Jesus was far more concerned with the poverty of their heart than the poverty of their hand. 
See, Jesus knows that if, unless there's a heart change, then the hand will do what the hand does. And unless there's, there's an internal revolution, then the external will be fleeting. All we'll do is change hands. And then all of a sudden, when you, when you take and shift the power and the dominant scheme to the other, when you think that you can take the oppressed and alleviate them from their oppression, they will become the oppressor. This is where Karl Marx forgot his anthropology into account human nature sinful nature. The world tells me this. And the whole story of the Bible has led up. Israel's crying out for a king, but they had a king once. And every single king went corrupt, did not follow the ways of God. Every single one of them. See, the Bible is a story about everyone else getting it wrong. That means you and I are in good company. Amen? Amen. Oh, you can do a little better than that. Right? It means you and I who also fall, you and I who also fail, you and I who oftentimes find ourselves in, in systems of power and authority, and we don't always live up to the standards. Remember when you worked for the manager, what you thought about the manager, and then remember when you became the manager and what you thought about all the employees? Remember that? Wasn't that great? And then remember when you owned the company, but remember when you worked for the owner of the company and what you thought about him? See, what you'll find is it's not about a power structure. It's about a heart that is impoverished, not a hand. It's not what's in our hands. In our hands is greed. In our hands is murder. In our hands is greed and murder because Murder is in our hearts and greed is in our hearts. And the heart is an extension of the hand. That's why Jesus says, you want to know where your treasure is? You you know where your heart is? Look at your treasure. You You want to know what you value? Look at what's in your hand. And here are the people of Israel saying, change our status. Change our laws. And Jesus says, I want to change your life. And it's a, It's a passage full of implications. It's a passage that has political and personal implications. And you go, oh no, here we go. He said the P word, politics in church, right? Like the one thing you don't, you don't talk about, you don't talk about it over dinner, right? Right? You don't talk, you you don't bring, don't, honey, don't bring that up. We want to have friends, right? (laughs) Right? Like, my wife's always doing that. Can you not be the pastor tonight? I was like, no. Like, I'm I'm pastor at the grocery store, right? Like, and and, and here's, here's the reality. And I, I think for generations that we had this idea that we don't talk about money and we don't talk about politics at the dinner table. And now we're really bad at talking about money and politics. And, and one of the best places in, in, over meals shared in community, in your church, with your friends, with your family, where you have difficult conversations and you don't just walk out because you heard something you didn't like. No, 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 no. You missed it. You missed it. Right? 
Like, I didn't like that. And I almost got up, right? Uh, right see see what, what we want. And there's the, the temptation for the pastor. I've been wrestling with this. So I'm almost sick at my stomach all week thinking about this particular pastor. Thinking about, man, how can I lay before you? Many of you, I don't know you. Many of you might be guests. And you're wrestling with, man, what is this whole Christian thing? I can tell you that this Christianity is about our lives and nothing else. Let me say it again. It's about our life. All that you have is your life. And Jesus says, I want every part of it. I want to change your heart. I want to change your life. I want to change you from the inside out. I want to take care of the poverty of your heart. And you'll realize that the poverty of your hand changes. That your perspective changes. All of a sudden, your discontentment will turn to contentment. Your resentment will turn to gratitude. All of a sudden, your unforgiveness will become grace because inside you've been changed. You see things from a different perspective. And that's what Jesus walks into this city and it's riddled with political implications. It's, politi- it's political in its nature because literally they, 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 they lay a parade before him and they call him king of Israel. Be the same as if we said president of the United States. Imagine a prophet, imagine a lowly man coming in and we say, this man is now our president. This is now our king. He's in charge. We will follow no one. We're gonna make a parade for him. We're gonna do it in front of everybody. They are literally committing treason in the streets. This is the implications leading up to Easter. Why is it that This Sunday changed everything. Well, it was about this whole week. It's these eight chapters that Matthew devotes to it. It, it, It's the chapters that John says, listen, I don't think you, I don't think you fully understand why it is that he was crucified. I I don't, I don't think you fully understand the implications of the things Jesus said. C.S. Lewis made this argument famous. And we forget about it because we're trying to get Jesus on the ballot box. We're trying to make Jesus popular. We're trying to make Jesus palatable. And listen, friends, Jesus doesn't need you to make him pop. He doesn't need a publicist. He doesn't need a defendant. He's a lion, homie. Just open the cage. He does not need defending. You have to wrestle with the things he said. C.S. Lewis says this, listen, the absurdity of calling Jesus merely a moral and spiritual and good teacher is folly. It's foolishness. It's not intellectually honest. If you say, if you meet someone and it seems as though this is the intellectual way of life to coexist, to have intermingling of religions, and this has now been called intellectual. But listen, friend, that's not intellectually honest because you cannot put Jesus among other teachers because Jesus was not modest about who he was. He was not deceptive about who he was. When they said, son of David, he said, what do you want me to do for you? When he walked into the temple, he said, this is my house. And it says that my house will be a house of prayer. Not God's house, my house. Claiming to 
be God in the flesh. He rides in on a donkey. When they throw the parade, he doesn't say, don't make all this fuss for me. He rides through the waving of palm branches, a foreshadowing that the Bible says that when Jesus returns fully, that the whole of creation, the trees will sing his praise. It's as if the palm branches are a foretaste of what will be. And if trees and rocks and mountains cry out how much more those who are made in the very image of God. What will be our status? What will we be like with him? Jonathan Edwards says, uh, says it this way, that we have maybe hundreds of senses, thousands of senses. But when we see Jesus face to face, The comparativeness of our state now is if we are a vegetable now, a rock now. What we will be like and what we will feel, what we will sense. The gratitude and praise that we will pour out to God when he returns. When we see Jesus face to face. And Jesus rides through this foreshadowing of these palm branches. The glory and honor that is reserved only to God. If he's not God in the flesh, then he's causing people to break the first command, have no gods before me. Worship me and me alone. And yet he receives worship and praise and adoration and the title of king, the title of God. He's not shy about it. And that's why C.S. Lewis says, listen, you cannot put him into a category of simply a good moral teacher. That's absurd. You have, you have one of three things to do with him. And if not, you're not being intellectually honest. You're not being honest about who Jesus is. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord himself. He's either a liar and a con artist. And if he is a con artist and he's a liar, then he is wicked and maybe even Satan himself. Because he's convinced people People like his half-brother, James. He's convinced people like his friends, Peter. He's convinced people that loved him and followed him to go to their death believing a lie. If he said the things that he said, like I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. If he said things like I am the resurrection and the life, and although that he die, yet those who believe in me will live If he said those things and he knew he was lying, then he's a con artist and he's wicked. And we are to be pitied above all. If Christ is not who he says he is, then the, and he did not raise from the dead and pull off Easter after calling his shot, then we are to be pitied above all else. Every other religion, we're to be pitied and shamed because of the foolishness of this. You can't call him a good teacher. You have to call him liar. Or maybe he's a lunatic. Maybe he's just off his rocker. Maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he's crazy. And how does a crazy person convince billions of people over 2,000 years to fall at his feet and worship him? How does a crazy man say the things like love your neighbor as yourself? And it pops up on the most 
popular podcast on the Joe Rogan experience going, man, why can't we just see that each other are the same thing? Why can't we just look at each other, no matter where we come from, what background we are? Why can't we see that we're actually indeed the same thing? And, and, and his friend, his comedian friend on the other side of the table goes, Joe, you're, you're talking about a Christian worldview. Jesus said that sort of thing and it was revolutionary because tribes and nations did not see other tribes and other nations as the same thing. They saw them as something else entirely. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. How does a lunatic pull that off? He's either liar, he's lunatic, or he's Lord of everything. And you have one of three options. You call him a liar and you dismiss the things he says. You call him a con artist and you'll bash him and you'll move away from him. You can consider this crazy and this Christianity stuff just a farce. Or you wrestle with the implications of what he actually did and who he says that he was. And you wrestle with the evidence laid before us. And then you do the only sensible, logical, and honest thing that you can do. You simply fall at his feet and worship him as God. It's the only options he leaves us with. See, friends, the the text is before us and it leaves us with a wrestle Jesus is simply saying, crown me or kill me. He comes into Jerusalem and he says, crown me or kill me. You can do nothing else with me. See, the reality is is Jesus is not leaving the option for us to make him a part of our lives. He's saying, I want everything or nothing. Maybe you're here today and Man, you're a guest, you're wrestling with Christianity. You're just like, hey, I get that there's a good moral scaffolding to this thing. And I realize that Christians over the past few years have realized I identify with Christians more than I do somebody else. Maybe your politics, your conservative ideas, maybe the scaffolding that you have before. Maybe you go, man, I'm there. But listen, friends, I know this is a hard thing, but it's the only thing that Jesus leaves us with. It's give him your whole life or nothing. But here's the good news, is that his life is so much better. His life in exchange for mine, that's not a fair trade, friend. I know me. Do you know you? Man, I know when I'm being dishonest. I know that when, when, when I'm being overbearing. I know when I'm being prideful and shameful. I know it. And if someone laid down their coats and made a parade for me and tried to inaugurate me as king, I go, no, friend. I can't do that. And yet Jesus, who is without sin, comes in to be king, but not the way you think. See, here's the beauty of the gospel. It's in the reality that he's 
driving a Prius. Some of you are really upset at me, and <laughs> it's the reality that he came in on a donkey. Let's just be honest, that's, that's not what we're choosing. And yet he flips our perspective upside down, and he rides in on a donkey, a humble donkey. They go, man, we want, you, we want you to come in. We want you, we want you to change everything. We want you to come in on a stallion. And he comes in on a, on a donkey and he reveals for us the gospel. See, here's the gospel. The gospel shows us that sinners will try to put themselves in the place of the king. Sinners will try to be king. And we'll try to inaugurate them. We'll try to make them. We'll worship them or we'll worship ourselves. But the gospel is when the king becomes a servant. And then he dies the sinner's death. That's how he becomes king not of just the Jews, but king of the world. The king of everyone. The king of the universe. This, he died king of the Jews and he awoke king of the world because it was not Rome that we needed freed from. It was sin and death that we needed our exodus from. Because here's what you gotta realize. That no matter who's king, and no matter who's president, it doesn't matter what the laws are. That the heart and sin will cause us to go astray. And so when we put our faith in ourselves, when we put our faith in government, when we put our faith in the next candidate and the next politician, listen, friends, I, 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 I've had conservatives and I've had liberals walk into my office and both of them leave ticked off. <laughs> it was just last year I had one conservative group come in and they were looking for support against this side. And then it wasn't but a couple of months later, this side came into my office and they were looking for support, looking against the other side. And I told one this, and you're going to have to wrestle with this, and some of you are going to have a problem with this statement, but I don't care. And so here, here's, here's what you got to wrestle with is that Jesus will not fit in any one of your categories and he will cause you to wrestle with is he king or not? Who do you follow? Who do you serve? He's king of the world and he longs to be king of your life. We won't force you. And you'll have to wrestle with who am I following? Am I following this side or this side? 
Am I, am I going with this group or that group? And I said, listen, friend, the truth will offend you at every corner. The truth offends everyone. And the conservative said, well, not if you're on the side of truth. I was like, no, no. The part that you're offended by is the part you don't accept. And I said this statement, and I told this story to the other side. I said, here's the reality as a pastor, and I'm a citizen, and, and I preach, and I try to teach people the Bible. And I go, listen, let, let me make this statement very clear. Let me say what I said to them a year ago. Hold your applause, your gasp, your anger, and wrestle with this. I looked at him and said, hey, I, I got to be honest. I think Trump's a liar. And I don't think he's a follower of Jesus. But I believe abortion is evil. And I like Trump better than Biden. And I thought her head was going to spin off her shoulders. <laughs> what? I told that story to the person that was on the left who came into my office and I said, listen, friend, you're in my office and they're in my office and I've had people leave my church because they thought I was too liberal and I've had people leave my church because they thought I was too conservative and it sounds like we're right on track, friend. I said, listen, I, it's, it's documented. I said to the other, I said, and Biden's a liar and I'm a liar. How about you? So I can say Trump's a liar. I don't think he's a follower of Jesus. I'm not one of those people. I'm not, a, I'm not an apologist. I, I, I don't think he wakes up in the morning and goes, what does Jesus want me to do today? Because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, friend. What does he want me to do today? Friends, I, I believe abortion is an evil thing. That because of convenience, and sometimes tragic situations. Recently on a, on a show on network television, man, the wrestling match of when is it okay and when is it not? And yet on an ABC show, a doctor telling a young girl who is contemplating this, she, she says, listen, I, I was there once and I made a tragic decision. And I believe God has forgiven me. On ABC, on a network, she's going, there's guilt and shame. Listen, if you found yourself, there is forgiveness, there is love, and there is grace. But I have to wrestle with the reality of what it is. It's the murder of a child in her mother's womb. Friends, that... You have to wrestle with that. You may not agree with that, and you may get wrapped up in a political persuasion, but I can tell you, you'll have to wrestle with what is it? What is truth? And what do I believe about it? And who decides what's right? This side or this side or God himself? And then at the end I said, and I, I like him better than, I like him better than Biden. I don't think Biden knows he's Biden. I could be nuanced about this. I could be honest. 
But see, friends, when you worship someone other than God, you will become an apologist. You will remove their flaws rather than being honest about everyone's flaws. When you wor worship an ideology, when you, when you worship a group and community of people who believe they're oppressed or segregated, you will then worship them and elevate them. And let me tell you, be careful, because when they come into power, they will become the oppressor. Because all men are in need, not of laws to be changed, but their lives to be changed. Because friends, it doesn't matter what's in the hand. It matters what's in the heart. And our heart is sick and in need of a savior. You know, Pastor Sam, I, I don't know, man. I don't know if politics should be in church or politics a part of your life. Jesus wants your life. You can't separate what Jesus brings to the table. You'll have to wrestle. You'll say, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? And I'll lay at his feet all of my preconceived notions and ideas, all the things that I brought to the table. I'll lay it before his feet and I will serve him and him alone. Jesus is king and there is no other. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, there is no king but King Jesus. Let us lay aside our political persuasions. Let us lay aside every weight of sin that so easily sets us back. Let us receive the humble service of this gentle king who leaves no question about who he is, but forces us to decide. Let us not be cowards trying to make Jesus popular and get him on the ballot box, but let us serve him and him alone with faithfulness and obedience and let the joy that comes from serving such a wonderful father, giving our lives to such a humble king, the joy and the grace that we receive, let it be a testimony to the world about how good our God is. For our God reigns. And he reigns first in the lives and hearts of his people. Because laws never changed anyone. But love and grace changes everyone. We thank you. We praise you. We ask for your grace. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?